I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today, we're heading for Turkey. Turkey. Ah, you know, Turkey is the greatest way to spice up your European adventure. Fly home from Istanbul. Fly home from Ankara. It's so easy to do an open-jawed trip flying into your destination in the west of Europe and then let, let the challenges grow as you work into more and more complicated and, I think, rewarding cultures and finish things off with a flurry in Turkey. I have with me Malika Seval, and she's a friend of mine who I've uh, led tours with, and she's helped us out on our public television TV show. Today, Meli uh, runs a tour company of her own with her daughter, and Meli joins us in our studios to get us up to date on contemporary Turkey. Meli, thanks for being here. Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Uh, what's just the general uh, feeling now for the economy in Turkey, and, and how are things going? I think the economy is getting much better. The last four years, we've uh, lowered the inflation rate down to single digits, so that's the good news. Has inflation been a problem earlier than It that? has been a problem. It even went up to three digits. Meaning what? Meaning like 120% inflation. Things more than doubling every year. Consider, yes. Wow. So this is great. How is the tourism business in Turkey? The infrastructure is excellent. In hope of better tourism, we keep making it better. There are more airports now than we did even two years ago. The roads are wonderful, but tourism is not all that good still. Because of the tension in the Middle East mostly? Probably since 9-11, tourism in general was low in Europe, definitely lower anywhere close to Middle East. Now, Istanbul is the primary target for most uh, American visitors to Turkey. And Istanbul is just like sprawling megapolis. How many million people live in? 15 million. 15 million. 15 million. And a tourist who's going to Istanbul is pretty much going to focus just on the old center, isn't he? If they are good travelers, they don't need to focus just in the old part. They can easily get away. They can hop on a boat, go to the Black Sea coast of Turkey. They can go to the newer part, which means like 19th, 18th century part. Or they can even go to the forests along the Black Sea and have natural adventures. Okay, but 20 years ago, what was the population roughly of Istanbul? About Six, seven million. So it's more than doubled during this period. What is this? Certainly. Where are these eight million people living? Is it does it have any character? Or is it just a concrete mess on the on the suburbs? On the suburbs, it's concrete mess. But Istanbul is so beautiful. I think the beauty of it absorbs the concrete mess. If you ask me, you had a mayor that was fixing up the uh, Golden Horn, right? This is a beautiful yeah. um, bay that comes in, and it was that an mayor industrial. had deep blue eyes, and he claimed that he would change Golden Horn into the color of his eyes, and he did. Is that so right? So you can take a gondola ride on the Golden Horn. Now this was the it's the bay that Istanbul is built around uh, that comes off the Bosporus. Yes, it's the part that divides European section into northern and southern sections. And that was an industrial mess and it, now it's uh, is it like a, a green zone a park? It's a or? green zone. It's one of the best environmental activities we've had in Istanbul. Wow. Now, when I was going to Turkey a lot, there was a huge difference between the eastern and the western half of Turkey. How is that today? Is there a gap between a rich and a poor part of Turkey, and does that go east-west? It goes east-west as well as outer suburbs and inner part of the big cities. So uh, east-west gap is not as definite as it used to be, but it's still there. Okay. And then the other gap would be high rent district in the middle and yes sprawl. urbanization we call that yeah. the and then the, cheap, high the poor districts would be sprawling into the suburbs exactly 
a long time ago, it was a big challenge for Turkey to electrify every village. Now in Antonio, no, is everything there electrified? is no problem. Every single village has got electricity and everything that comes along with electricity. They have refrigerators, they have TVs, they have uh, anything that works with electricity. In the far reaches of Turkey. In the far reaches of Turkey. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're visited by Melika Saval from Izmir and talking about uh, contemporary Turkey. We'll get to your calls in a moment. You can call us at 877-333-RICK or you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Melika, tell me what is the, the latest feeling about Turkey joining the EU, the European Union? I personally don't want to be a member of European Union, just like 80% of the Turkish people. We don't want to be a member. Why not? Uh, not, because, not why you, but why is the general 80% of the people so Because against it? we have just realized, finally realized, that the European community is not a very democratic organization. Just to give you one example, as of January 2007, there are 29 countries as members of the EU, and there are still only 15 stars on their flag. Okay, so basically Turkish feel like they're not if they're not going to play ball fairly with us, then we'll take our, we'll exactly, take our game Exactly, because elsewhere. only six of those 29 countries are in the decision-making okay. capacity. And, and is, the that rest, really the, is that the general Turkish feeling? That's the general Turkish feeling. So your bet is, will the government push for this? Sometimes the government overrides the will of the people. The government was using membership of EU as a big thing, and they were saying, we'll make Turkey a member of European community. But as European community started putting blockage on Turkey's membership, and as the government realized that the Turkish people don't really want it, mm -hmm. so they're not pushing it anymore. I know that some of the biggest Turkish communities anywhere are actually in Europe. There's a huge Turkish community in Berlin, for instance. And originally, they would be Turks that went to Germany to find work, and they would make uh, relatively high wages, even doing menial work, and support their families back in Turkey. Now Turkey is more affluent, but still less affluent than Germany. Is there still this gastarbeiter uh, situation with lots of Turks going to Europe? It's quite difficult for Turks to be accepted as guest workers in Europe anyway. But since the fall came down in Berlin, in Germany, there are not as many works, so it's not that interesting for the Turks to be going to Europe. Because Poles and Romanians would work cheaply also. Exactly. So now Europe has a whole new opportunity to get people to do the work that wealthy local people don't want to do, and they will draw from poor European nations rather than going to Anatolia. That's correct. And also there's an anti-Islamic feeling, I believe, in Europe, which had started in France and then spread out all around Europe. And the Turkish people being Muslim, they're less wanted than the other Christian I saw that in Ireland. I mean, Ireland has 100,000 gastarbeiters, guest workers, and they're mostly Polish, and they're Catholics, and they fit into the Irish Catholic community probably easier than Muslim Turks would. Probably. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Uh, what percent of Turkish people are Muslim? 99%. Now, that's nominal Muslim, or are they devout Muslims? It depends on your definition. I would say they're devout Muslim. I don't know what you mean by well, do they? Muslim. I mean, there's a lot of people that are Christians, but they go to church on Christmas and Easter, and that's it. But it's not no, part of their day-to-day -day life. Yeah. By what our religion is preaching, be a good person. 
Okay, 99%. 99%. They subscribe to, to Mohammed's ideas about living properly on earth. Exactly. All right. But, but practicing the, yeah. the rituals, probably 40%. 40%. And how would you describe your faith? My faith, personal? Yeah. I'm a Muslim. Practicing, or just do you think Muhammad had good ideas? I think I'm trying to be a good person with everybody's ideas. I like to take the good teachings of whoever had given the good teachings throughout history. It must be very complicated to be a Muslim who's not a fundamentalist Muslim or an orthodox Muslim when there's so much tension in, in the Middle East because of people's faiths. In Turkey, what's the state of fundamentalism? Is that a challenge to the Turkish government? Is it a growing thing? It is definitely a challenge. Up until 1994, we never even thought that there can be fundamentalism in Turkey because of the secular teachings of Ataturk. But the fundamentalists who are backed up with interest of economic interest, they started finding grounds all over the world, and their fundamentalism doesn't have to be religious fundamentalism of Islam. It can be fundamentalism on Christianity, fundamentalism on whatever. So we started having those type of people, but since we are now aware that it can be there, fundamentalism can come to Turkey, we are taking our measures against it. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Melika Saval, who comes to us from Izmir in Turkey. We have Caroline on the phone in Florida. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for calling. Thank you for having me on. I watched your program on TV, and I have your guidebooks, and they're like my traveling Bible. Oh, thank you very much. Do you have a question or comment from Ellie? Yes, I do. A few years ago, I was planning to travel to Turkey with a girlfriend of mine, and we just, we ended up not going because of the there were two bombings in Istanbul. So we made different travel plans. But now we're rethinking it, and we would like to uh, go again uh, this uh, spring or in the fall. And I'm concerned about the fact that uh, Turkey is a Muslim country. And I was wondering, how safe is it for two Jewish women traveling alone to go to your country? Or would we be better off on a tour? Caroline, I would say it's very, very safe whether you were Jewish or not Jewish, whether you're a woman or as human beings. Don't worry about coming to Turkey. You will find Turkish people very hospitable. That answers my question. Well, that's Now, Turkey is the size of California with how many people in it? 72 million. And in the, in the cities, it's quite modern and cosmopolitan. And in the, in the countryside, you will be uh, welcomed as a, a guest from far away. And in the cruise ports, you'll be welcomed as part of the economy and somebody with lots of money. So it's like traveling in a lot of places. I think a little bit of common discretion is a good idea. But I've, I've also found we've for 15 years been bringing groups around Turkey, and, and we've always found a warm and a safe welcome. The traveling that I've been doing with my girlfriend, uh, usually we do it independently and we take buses and we take trains and walk. Um, I could feel just as safe doing that in Turkey in all parts. Yes, you will. And our bus system is very good, so don't feel worried about uh, taking public buses if you want to go from A to B. It's very easy, very efficient and inexpensive to do that. Okay. I have one other question. Uh, if I were interested in combining uh, 
Turkey with a, a bit of a, a cruise to one of the Greek islands, let's say to a Santorini, and then flying back to the States from, I guess, Athens. Um, is that easily done? That's very easily done. You should end your tour in Kushadesa, take a ferry which takes only 40 minutes to Samos. From Samos, you can take a boat to Santorini and fly to Athens. Okay, thank in fact, you. Caroline, that's what we do with our tours because that's what I did as an independent traveler before we did the tours is do your, have your turkey fun and then use turkey as a springboard to get to the popular Greek islands. And as Melly said, uh, Kusadashi is great because it's very close to Ephesus, which is one of my favorite sites anywhere. This is uh, famous from biblical history and it's an ancient Greek and Roman town. And you're just a few minutes away from Samos, which is a wonderful Greek island. And from there, you can go to Patmos, another place with a lot of biblical history. Or you can go down to Bodrum, right, Melly, and take the boat over to Rhodes. Or you can end up in Marmaris and go to Rhodes yes. from Bodrum to Kos. Oh, Bodrum to Kos. Bodrum to Kos from Marmaris to Rhodes. Okay, so there's three great connections to the Greek Isles, and from there you're in the Greek ferry system. Or, of course, you could go in the other direction, uh, enjoy the Greek Isles, and go over to Turkey. Caroline, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Yeah. Meli, and what are the, the Greek issues? I mean, historically, there were lots of Greeks in Turkey and lots of Turks in Greece, and then there was a big uh, readjustment, and everybody was sort of sent back to their ancient homeland. Tell me just a bit about that. In 1920, when Turkish people, we were not even a state then, started uh, fighting with the European allies who were trying to invade Turkey, the... Greeks were Greeks in mainland, were supported by the British. But unfortunately, in that independence war, the Greeks did really bad, and they had to return to their country. And the British thought it will be best if they can take all the Orthodox, whom they called Greeks at that time, living in Anatolia to Greece and all the Muslims who were living since the time of the Ottomans for at least four or five hundred years in Greece, they sent them to Anatolia. So we call that the big exchange of population. And that's where in 1924 the exchange was completed, splitting many families. Roughly how many people were involved in that exchange? About half a million. 500,000 people in Greece and Turkey were shoved back back to the opposite country because of their um, family's religion, basically. Exactly. And I'm uh, one of those. My family had to come from Selanik, Thessalonica, in the northern part of Greece. And the British, to... in their wisdom, thought it might be better for you to yes. go over there. Wow. Miriam in Troy, New York. Hi, Miriam. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. I uh, can reassure Carolyn uh, about going to Turkey because I was a part of a group that visited Turkey last July, and it was just wonderful. Everyone was friendly, and I never had a moment's anxiety. I had a, a couple of uh, experiences that uh, were surprising, <laughs> but um, it, it was a wonderful ex uh, trip. And uh, Tell me one of the surprises. Uh, uh, on the last day before we were to return home, um, we had previously been to Greece, and we ended up in Istanbul. Uh, I visited the Grand Bazaar and uh, walked into one of the many, many stalls and looked at a bag hanging from the ceiling. 
and touched it, and sort of over my shoulder, I asked the uh, shopkeeper, well, how much is this? And, uh, of course, everyone speaks pretty good English in, in terms of uh, shopping. And the man behind me said, oh, that's expensive. Here, this one's better for you. It's not handmade. <laughs> and I turned around and looked at him, and he looked right at me and said, oh, you look very sweet, but broke. <laughs> <laughs> that's an uncharacteristic, ungreedy merchant, huh? Well, it was, you know, how did you know? That was the truth. That was the truth. And, well, there's a lot of cleverness going on in the market there, and it sounds like he was actually concerned about your budget (laughs) and and getting some of it. I really can't imagine, uh, you know, uh, his approach. But, uh, uh, of course, as tourists, uh, our uh, experiences with the Turks, uh, the Turkish people were mainly with the shopkeepers, and yeah. um, they're really very friendly. Well, they're experts at being friendly. I think it's part oh, of their livelihood, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's fun, yes. and that's a, sort of a sport to go into that grand bazaar. And uh, I'm glad to hear you, uh, you know, confirmed with Caroline, who called earlier, that as a woman traveling around Turkey, you'll you'll feel comfortable. There were four women from the group who also visited the Turkish bath, and that was certainly worth the thirty euros. Tell us about that. Uh, Suleiman Hammam in Istanbul. You actually went into a, a local bath. Yes, they sent a van for us and drove us through these busy, noisy streets, and we ended up uh, walking into um, this ancient building. It uh, began in 1490. The architect, anyway, built it uh, in the 1500s. But, you know, it was quite welcoming and warm and quite a contrast to the business of the outside. And we proceeded in to have the most wonderful, relaxing hour, <laughs> you know, for women alone. It was supposed to be co-ed, but at the time we were there, uh, hmm. it was just for us. So you had a good experience it, in your bath. That's great. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. I did, too. That Turkish bath is really a, a must when you're in, in Turkey anywhere, I'd say. Miriam, thanks for your call. I agree. You're welcome. Happy travels. Bye. Bye now. Melly, I know Ataturk was like the George Washington of Turkey, uh, single-handedly took Turkey out of the Middle Ages and helped forge um, the modern Turkish nation back in the 1920s. Mustafa Kemal Ataturk. Yes. yes, and he's the father of Turkey. Give us just a quick background on what he accomplished. Ataturk had put an end to the Ottoman rule, which has been ruling our land for 700 years. Ataturk trusted in the Turks that we can, with no weapons, get rid of all the European allies who were trying to invade Turkey in the 20s. And the most important thing was he established a secular republic, and in 10 years he had created the reforms which made Turkey into a modern country. So coming into World War I, it's fair to say Turkey was a medieval sort of a country with Ottoman old school empire. And then you have this real modern, democratic, secular leader, a strong-arm man who came in and, and literally is the father of modern Turkey that dates back only to the 1920s, so still in the living memory of a lot of Turkish people. And he was so committed to a secular nation that he actually, I understand, prohibited anybody from going to churches or mosques or synagogues for a few years until they were educated, or what's the deal there? Until they were educated, so they will not be brainwashed by fundamentalism in the name of religion. 
So he so, was not against religion. He was not against religion, but he was against using religion for fundamentalist reasons and for politics. So he wanted us to get educated. Now, I was walking through a village in eastern Turkey with Meli, and there was a stadium filled with high school students, and I vividly remember them thrusting their fists up in the air, screaming, we are a secular nation. 400 of these kids, all at the same time, screaming, we are a secular nation in their sports stadium. And I asked Meli, what's going on here? Can you explain what, that would have, what was going on? Well, secularity is very important for us because geographically, Turkey is surrounded with countries where secularity has not been their achievement. And the end result, using 1,400-year-old rules of this religion, of course, cannot be applied to modern day. And we have uh, serious problems on women rights, on human rights, on international re- relations. So we were able to avoid all those medieval mentality by establishing secularity, dividing state from Religion. So in Turkey, the separation of mosque and state is just as precious as the separation of church and state is in the United States. Absolutely. Wow. But there is one other thing that Ataturk had accomplished. He gave us sense of nationalism rather than ethnic identity, rather than sectoral identity, rather than gender identity. We are a Turk in Turkey. And that's going back to French Revolution. If French Revolution introduced as an enlightenment nationality, that's what we have acquired. So we don't want to see the world being divided into small ethnic or religious groups. That is very dangerous. That's going back before French Revolution. And we have 100% confidence in our military that they are backing up our democracy. So you really so, are happy if your government takes over, or if your military takes over, if things are going into a no, theocracy way? I, I would be happy that we would not allow theocracy to take over, but I hope it will never be necessary because every time military takes over, there is democratic problems, of course, but if I need to choose, and I hope this will not be misunderstood, if I need to choose a military coup over theocracy, reluctantly, I will choose military coup. Is that unusual in Turkey, or would you say most Tur- no, Turkish people would No, I think people Turkish people would go for that. Interesting. Now, I remember you told me once when you were a young, a young girl, you worried you'd never fall in love with a man because you loved Ataturk so much. Yes, I think I've passed that, but I still love Ataturk in a wonderful way. There's an incredible love for Ataturk in Turkey that a lot of Americans don't realize. Lots of love and respect. And a great way to get an appreciation of Ataturk is go to Ankara and to his mausoleum in the Associated Museum. People still see Ataturk in the clouds? We do. We do, absolutely. Every year in the eastern part of Turkey, there is a mountain which at a certain time of the day cast shadow of the portrait of Ataturk, and we get millions of people to see the shadow of that mountain. The father of modern Turkey. The father of modern Turkey. Who really muscled Turkey out of the Middle Ages and into the modern world in the 1920s. we're very proud of him, and we're very proud of ourselves because he had confidence in us, and we proved that he was right. 
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Melika Suval, who comes all the way from Izmir in Turkey to join us. Meli, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me here. How is the legacy of Ataturk holding up today? Are the young people still as respectful of Ataturk and appreciative as, as you were when you were young? Yes. Every day we realize how difficult what he did was. So we have a growing respect in Ataturk. And without his teachings, the days that we're going through, the threat of fundamentalism, the threat of imperialism, the threat of globalization, we could not have stood against those. So I think the ideas of Ataturk is supporting Turkish people to be who they are. Wow, so you named three very big issues, imperialism, fundamentalism, and globalization. Do you see these as the big challenges to contemporary Turkey? I see these big challenges to all of the countries who are trying to be themselves. Okay, and in regard to Ataturk's teaching as the founder of your modern nation, what do you mean by the threat of imperialism? Threat of imperialism looks down upon the cultures, and if you do not have... A nationalism, not fascism, but nationalism, a pride in your nation, then you can easily be swollen by the bigger countries. And does Turkey have a, a, a pride in its nation that can withstand this? We have this? a big pride in ourselves. Yes. And fundamentalism, that challenge. Talk to me about that lately. Fundamentalism is a growing threat because it's being backed up with tremendous economic uh, support coming from all parts of the world. Fundamentalists are being supported from Europe. Fundamentalists are being supported from the United States as well as the Arabic countries. So, Melika, the country is 99% Muslim, but I know that Turkey is committed because of Ataturk to a a modern uh, secular government. What if, because of democracy, Turkey voted to become a theocracy and a fundamentalist Muslim country? What would happen? In our constitution, we have a non-amendable clause which says the Turkish Republic is a secular state. So based on that clause, military and all those of us who support military in that case will step in and there will be a coup and we'll get rid of them. So you have a legal separation of mosque and state just like we have a separation of church and state. Yes. Because of your constitution. Yes. So Ataturk foresaw this. Since 1924, Turkey had become a secular state. Has the military ever uh, had to step in and and change the government? Not for threat of secularity, but they have, when we had the threat of terrorism, they did. What's the standing of the military now? Do people see it as a defender of the constitution or a menace to democracy? No, defender of the constitution. We trust our government. You trust your military? Military. How big is your military? One million men. Wow. What's the state of women in the military? They can be officers. They are not drafted, but they can go up to be a general. In fact, the daughter of Ataturk, adopted daughter of Ataturk, was a military air pilot. So that's interesting. You have a million men in the army. uh, Out of practical purposes, you've got to draft people to have that many. And women are welcome to go to school and be officers, and they they do function as officers. So there's a, a minority in Turkey that are fundamentalists that would want to turn Turkey into a nation sort of like Iran is today, and they would be 
not economically viable, you're saying, without the money coming in from abroad. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it's coming from wealthy fundamentalist uh, Muslims in Europe? Not necessarily Muslims from Europe, but for political reasons from non-Muslims in Europe. What would be their interest? Why would they give money to this if they weren't uh, motivated by the Muslim faith? Because if Turkey goes fundamentalist, then the stability of Turkey will fall, and then Turkey can fall into their hands. A strong Turkey in Middle East is not in interest of many of other countries. Do you think there are some nations that find it in their interest to have a fragmented, chaotic Turkey so they can have their way in the Middle East? That's what I think. Tell me then, I'm very curious about this because people just assume there will be a war if Iraq falls apart and Kurdistan becomes an independent nation. Kurdistan, the Kurdish people being the northern third of the three warring factions in Iraq. Why is that so important to Turkey? It is very important to not only to Turkey, but to all of Middle East, thus for the whole world, because the long policy of the British divide and rule had never proved to be right, efficient, or good for the people who have been divided. So we don't believe that if Iraq is divided, one part of it becoming Kurdistan— that divided Iraq is not going to be good for Middle East, therefore it will not be good for Turkey. If Iraq falls apart and there is a nation of Kurdish people looking to be part of a nation, what's the alternative? The alternative is unitarian nation of Iraq. It has to stay unitarian. So in Turkey's interest, Turkey's interest is unitarian nation of Iraq. Because if Kurdistan is become a state, it will be landlocked. How will they survive? They will have to survive with some support of another nation. They will just become a puppet of another nation. And we don't need a puppet next to our door. I see. So you would think a a landlocked Kurdistan would be a base for another nation that would challenge Turkey's sovereignty. That's uh, correct. How many Kurdish Turks are there? Probably around 20 million. And that's, what, a third of your nation? third of our nation in Turkey, but maybe 5,000 of them are following the divisive or dividing idea. This is a, a very complicated issue that it must be frustrating for you to um, see people that don't understand the complexity of the issue try to push to a, a goal that they might have. I don't like my country to be looked upon as different ethnic groups. I want people to think of Turkey as a melting pot toast salad because with whatever our ethnic identity is, whatever our religious identity is, we are the citizens of Turkish Republic. And most of us are proud of being the citizens of Turkish Republic. A handful of terrorists wants to separate the Kurdish part of Turkey, but they will never succeed. What's good for Turkey, in, in your estimate, is the modern viewpoint that Turkish people are politically Turkish while they can be ethnically any different sort of mix. And uh, just like in our country, we have a lot of Italian-Americans and a lot of uh, Greek-Americans and a lot of Spanish-Americans. As preached in French Revolution, nationalism, nation, being a nation is important, no matter what the factors of nation might be, ethnically or religious-wise. And your hope is that regardless of their ethnicity— the modern Turk will think of himself as a Turkish citizen. Yes. That's something to hope for in the interest of peace, I would think. 
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Melika Saval from Izmir, Turkey. Melika, thanks for traveling all the way to our studios and share your insight into your great country. It's my pleasure, Rick. And David's on the line in Washington. Hi, David. Hi, Rick. Thanks for your call. Yeah, I just want to share an experience we had back in 2004 when me and my wife went to uh, Turkey together. And uh, just want to say that 2004 was just an awesome trip to Turkey, one of the best trips we've ever had in traveling around the world. And one of the experiences of modern Turkey was, um, well, I had forgotten to bring enough underwear. So we were in the Grand Bazaar, or very near it, kind of between the Grand Bazaar and the uh, Rasim Pasham Mosque, and we found a shop. And I went in, and I coaxed my wife to say, okay, come on, join me. So we both went in, you know, just kind of, you know, how we do it in the United States. So we're shopping together. And we're in the store for about two minutes, and we noticed it's like dead quiet. It's like, well, why? These guys were all talking. And it's like, you know, all men in the, in the store. And I turn around, and they're all whispering and looking at us. And it's like, okay, so is this something where a man and a, a husband and a wife shouldn't be, like, shopping together? We thought we were in Istanbul. Istanbul is pretty cosmopolitan, a little more open, a little more easygoing. And we were wondering, man, did we make a cultural faux pas here? Is that acceptable in Turkey? Because we didn't run into that in other things. So You're asking if a, a husband and wife can will shop go shopping Sh- together? Well, shop together for, like, you know, undergarments. Oh, to undergarments, I see. Yeah, so we're just curious. Well, I would never think that a husband and wife should not go together to an undergarment shop. I don't know what the situation was. I wouldn't be able to comment on that. But it is okay. If you go back to Turkey and try it again, you can try it with your wife. It is really okay. Well, did you get some good underpants there, David? Actually, it was kind of fun when I realized that they were getting really quiet. So, you know, we started looking at boxers, and we were at the front of the store in the big window. So then we started, you know, like, you know, take one out and try it on and start to say extra large and stuff. (laughs) And then there were all these people out in front of the window, you know, all the little teenage boys and stuff going around started uh, pointing at us. Well, you're probably a big guy, and they all wondered, briefs or boxers? That's right. <laughs> well, there you go, another cultural adventure. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, people experience is, is what makes it. Yeah. Melly, do Turkish men wear briefs or boxers? Boxers. Boxers, all right. Okay, David, carry on. Then I just had one other question. When we were traveling uh, with our bus tour, we would pass a lot of people out in the country who were, like, staying in uh, the traditional goat, you know, the black goat hair tents and yurts. So we were thinking if we were to go back to Turkey again, it would be great to have an experience where you can stay in a yurt or stay with a family in a goat hair tent. But, you know, doing my internet searches, I couldn't find anything. You know, if, if I was to just hop on a bus and get off and find one of these families, would that be acceptable? Would that be okay? If you really want to do it, I think you should just stop the bus, hop out, and go to the tents and tell them you are God's guest, and they will let you stay with them. You don't have to search on the Internet. You don't have to make reservations. It's okay. Just go and knock on their door. And it's safe. It will be safe. It'll be very safe, yeah. And you drink a lot of tea, and you hear a lot of people playing the eagle bone flute. But remember, if it's their wedding then they will shoot guns in the sky. Don't get scared of that. So if I was to go as a guest, would I have to bring like a gift? Or what would be an appropriate gift to bring? 
as a guest. School supplies are the best gifts to take to families. That's a good idea. Oh, okay. School supplies. And remember, David, if you find it on the web, it's going to be a business. And it'll sure. be a sort of faux traditional, maybe. I mean, it's not bad, but it, they're set up for tourists. But if you really want to do that back to our thing, it's, it's, it's a little tough these days. But if, if you were determined, you could do that. And then, as Melly said, you would just, you'd probably have it written down on a piece of paper from some Turk that you are God's guest. How do you say that in Turkish? Tandır misafiri. All right. And, and then they would invite you in. Good luck, David, on your travels. Great. Thanks. Thanks for your call. Great. Bye. Melika Sevalm, coming to us from Izmir in Turkey. If you want to uh, connect with Meli, her website is melitour.com, M-E-L-I-T-O-U-R.com. Meli does wonderful tours. She guides them herself of all different corners of Turkey and with all different themes and focuses. Uh, Meli Sevalm, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Turkey, Greece, and beyond. On Rick Steves' website, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To prepare for your next Greek or Turkish adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.